teaching. But as you listen through these, you can look back and see, wow, he had such a plan. He wasn't just randomly spouting off things. It was a calculated plan in his initial teaching as the crowds began to gather. And he had just come, his public ministry launched, and he gets up and teaches this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And we've been looking at this and just taking our time because it is loaded, loaded with life principles. And uh, we ended last week where we were looking at him examining our hearts. He said, when you, when, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and it was heart issues, and he was asking us to examine our hearts and asking them to examine their hearts. But speaking about heart issues, now Jesus turns his attention talking about money and possessions. My wife mentioned this Sunday, and I say it all the time too, so um, I either stole it for her, she stole it from me. I have the mic, she just stepped out, I'm going to say she stole it from me. Um, but there are two things that people always say, I just don't have enough of and I wish I had more. It's time and money. Time and money. And no greater two things will show you where your heart is. By, you just need to look at your, your schedule and your checkbook register. And those two things will show you the greatest priorities of your life. And so tonight, week six, we're looking at this title, though, of Don't Worry. Don't Worry. Anybody here got worried about something over the last few weeks? Yep. Now, I know some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand because I know you said don't worry. If I raise my hand, I look like the sinner heathen, so I'm not doing it. You ain't walking me into that trap. But if we're honest, every human being worries about something at some point. But tonight I said to Jude, I said, yeah, man. I said, of course, I'm teasing him. I'm like, are you going downstairs for Rock Church? Or are you going to stay up and hear Dad speak? And him and Titus look at me like, are you crazy? They're like, Rock Church? And I said, and, and I said I'm going to be talking about worry. I said, Jude, do you think that God wants us to worry about things? And again, he looks at me like I'm nuts. He's like, no. And I said, why? He said, because God already saved the world. He doesn't, ha you don't have to worry about anything. He already took care of it. I was like, man, and that's why God says become like little children. Because they're just like, God took care of everything. Why should we, there's nothing to worry about. And COVID and everything going on in our world has really made people even more anxious and nervous. I want my kids to grow up in a society, whether COVID's there, whether it's not, whether there's mass, whether the, that they can say, you know, I'm not worried. God's got everything, you know, and I think they're going to take that cue from us. And so we have to be very wise at what we say and the way we say things. And so tonight, don't worry. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light you think you have is actually darkness. How deep that darkness is. You ever talk to someone who thinks they have light, but you just hear darkness. And you're going, 
No one can serve two masters, for you'll either hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. King James says mammon, as if any of us know what mammon are. So I'm using New Living Translation. We talked about this Sunday when I preached, a champion will be crowned. I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm just glad you all are here. I thought the church was going to boycott and blame me for something. And uh, somehow I, I jinxed them, but I just want you to know jinxing is not a biblical, realistic concept. <laughs> and if it is, I'm still going to tell you it's not a realistic concept. There are all kinds of treasures in this life. Not all just athletics, not just a trophy, but in our professions too. Now, there's nothing wrong with being successful. But it's an, always important. The whole thing, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount centers around this. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Examine yourself. What's in your heart? Examine yourself. What's in your heart? So we have to ask ourselves, yes, I, I, I want to be successful. Well, what does that mean? But more importantly, what is the cost? What's the cost of being successful? What are you willing to lay down on the altar of success? What are you willing to sacrifice to gain that trophy? By trophy, I'm not just talking about a football team. I'm talking about advancement, financial security, promotion, running the company, launching the business. In a moment, Jesus is about to command his followers to keep him first, and he will take care of everything else. So if we are willing to sacrifice marriage, children, ministry, church, to gain earthly treasure, then we have to do what Jesus has been commanding them to do all along in this sermon, and that is what? Examine my heart. Examine your heart. This is why he says in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. So there's things that are treasured. There's time and money and efforts that I'm putting in. That is where my treasure is. And so we have to say, okay, I want to examine my motives. I want to examine what am I willing to sacrifice to accomplish this thing. The pull of the world is so strong. It's strong on all of us. The Bible tells us about all that's in the world. 1 John 2, 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away. Moth, moth's eat and, dust, and, and rust corrupts, right? It passeth away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father, doeth, E-T-H, continue to do, will be saved and will, will of, uh, the will of God abideth forever. In verse 16 in New Living Translation, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. I mean, this starts young. Chances are you don't walk through Walmart. If you're, if you're a parent of young children, you're not like, well, let's just run over and see what the toy aisle has. I just, 
As a, as a parent, you're just like, no, come on. No, no, no. Like, you just don't even go in that section. Because even if you're strong, you say, no, no. You're just like, why take on the battle? Let's just avoid it. Kids don't walk up and down the Walmart toy aisles and go, those are some really nice toys. I hope one of the kids that need them get them someday. Kids are like, I want that, I want that, I want that, please. Ah. And you know, like, we have to say, no, 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 put that down. We're not getting that. And, that, it, and this, is, this, is, this is who we are as human beings. This is, it, it's the exact same thing. You know, you just eventually the toy aisle becomes, uh, you know, a Chevy dealership or a Toyota dealership or a <laughs> Mazda dealership or whatever it is. But what's... All that's in the world, what tempts you? What tempts you? Is it physical pleasure? Things you see? Pride and achievements and possessions? I mean, what, what tempts you? All that's in the world comes down to these three things, and chances are one or more of these things are things that we... And Jesus goes on in verse 22, he says, your eye is a, like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body's filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body's filled with darkness. And if, you, if the, the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness is. If you say, I'm in a dark place right now. I'm, 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 I'm watching online and I'm in a bit of a dark place. Yeah, it might be because of what's going in through your eyes. I mean, scripturally, what goes in my eyes is powerful enough to put me in a dark place. But why here? Why does Jesus address this here? You're like, you're talking about possessions and money. All of a sudden, he stops and talks about your eyes. And then he goes back to you can't serve God and money. If you're just flying through this, you're like, this is out of place. Did he just squirrel? I mean, did he go off on a, on a tangent? What? I mean, he was teaching outside, I guess. I mean, what? Why? Well, if we don't understand the larger scope of, of, of Scripture, the placement here can seem odd, but we talk about eyes and what we see in the middle of talking about money and trophies and earthly possessions. Well, we just touched on this. He says all that's in the world is physical pleasure, the pride and the achievements, but also things you see, lust of the eyes. And so it really fits well. He's saying, lust of the eyes, let's talk about the eyes. All three of these things entered in at the beginning of humanity when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and allowed sin into the garden. The ammo of Satan, the approach of Satan, he has still not changed. 2,000 years, 6,000 years, he still has not changed. The MO of Satan is still the same. He appears to Eve, and the serpent says to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes are going to be opened. There's the eyes. And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What is that? It's pride of life. So right off the bat, I'm sitting here going, I'm not supposed to eat of this tree, but man, I would like to be like a god and know all things. I'd like to elevate myself into a place of authority and, oh, man, I, that, that's interesting. And when the woman saw the tree was good to the eyes, it was pleasant to the eyes. There's the lust of the eyes. 
what do I see? What am I beholding? What am I, I mean, if, if, if she and Adam are not hanging around the tree staring at it, think, man, that looks good. Wow, that looks so good. I wonder what it would taste like. And that goes in every area of life. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, that lust of the flesh, that desire. She took the fruit thereof, ate it, and gave it to her husband. He ate too. Why? Because the three things combined, all that's in the world, the devil, he started right there, still does the exact same thing, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's the same thing that the devil approaches Jesus with when he's in the wilderness fasting. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And he still comes at us today the same way. Oh, man, look at that. You could have power. Oh, that would taste great. Oh, look, lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes. It looks good. It could make you better. Oh, it could elevate you. And so Jesus is going to address these things as he calls the disciples to, and he begins to train his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. And in teaching on earthly possessions, he spends some time on guarding your eyes. He, he goes as far as to say the health of the eye determines the health of our whole being. This is why I include an entire lesson on guarding our eyes in our Now What Discipleship course. Although Jesus is talking about earthly possessions, there is a biblical principle. There are biblical principles set forth about being aware of what's going on and going into our eyes. This is a principle that we, we need to pause and take a moment to look at. David in Psalm 101.3 said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You know what wicked means in that verse? It is in addition to evil and ungodly. The word belial actually means without profit worthless, without profit. So I'm not going to set not only the evil things before my eyes, but I don't want to set things before my eyes that are without profit or worthless. Well, it's not sin to behold that thing. Yes, but is it without profit? Is it worthless? And so he made a covenant with God that I'm not going to put worthless things without profit in front of my eyes. David also asked God, he said, turn my eyes. In Psalm 119.37, he says, turn my eyes from beholding vanity. Vanity here actually, again, refers to very similar to what wickedness is. It's, it's worthless, foolish, and empty. You know, psychologists, this isn't a biblical thing. Psychologists actually have research that point to the fact that 99% of our thought life is dictated by what we see. What we see. And that can be so dangerous. Why? Because look at Scripture. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he, or a man, a woman, as a person, is, as, as we think in our heart, so are we. Do we get that, what that means? What we see determines our thought life. What we see determines our thought life. And biblically, our thought life determines who we are. It, it's what goes into us, right? Satan knows that your eyes are a powerful tool to get you thinking about sin. Does Eve 
eat of the tree and give to Adam? Do they eat of the tree if they didn't see the fruit? Huh. Because that's a powerful thing. I'm going to come at you at all areas. Pride, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And Jesus was putting emphasis on eyes and what we view because that is one of the major things that dictate the way things get inside of us. And what gets inside of us does exactly what he said. Your eye is a lamp, provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, the body is filled with light. But I'm in a dark place. What has been going on through the eyes? What has been being taken in through the eyes? And in this particular context, he's talking about money and possessions. And he goes on in verse 24, he says, nobody can serve two masters. And many have tried because we want to kind of fit in with the worldly concept, but then we don't want to walk away from God. And so we try to like, I kind, I, I mean, I, I, I do want to kind of be in church and I want to know that me and God are cool. But yet, I don't want to totally, you know, I want to be successful. I kind of like, you know, having my worldly possessions. And I'm not, and so I kind of want to fit in in both worlds. And again, does he say you can't be successful? You can't have nice things? No, I mean, my goodness. Thank God that some people in the New Testament church had a big, they didn't have church buildings. Thank God they had a house built big enough that they could have some church in someone's house once in a while. But it's about what is, what is going on. Kind of like he says, uh, you know, when you enter, go into your prayer closet. Does he mean that you can never have a corporate prayer meeting? No, it's just everything is about examining the heart. Why am I doing what, what I'm doing? I'm examining what's in here, making sure my heart is right. Because these two things, we see, I want more time, more money. And it's not by accident that immediately after Jesus tells his followers to be aware of the lust of the eyes, to not just focus on building earthly accolades and treasures, and to not be enslaved to money, he now starts to talk to them about worrying. And boy, did those two topics go hand in hand. Talking about earthly, earthly pleasures and worldly, and you can't serve God and money. And then he says, now let me talk to you about worry. Why? Because what do we often worry about? Money. Why do some people really struggle to pay tithes? Because in my heart of hearts, I'm my own provider. And I can't afford to give that instead of going, I can't afford not to give that. I'm not, I'm not my own provider. He is my provider. And when I place him first, he says, you're a good steward. I can now trust you with more because you have done well with the talent that I've given you. But money can be a But Jesus, he now says in verse 25, that is why. That is why. So notice he's connecting these thoughts. Let's talk about worldly possessions. Let's talk about you can't serve God and money. That is why. Transitional phrase there into a new thought. 
I tell you not to worry about everyday life. What? Isn't it interesting? First century to the 21st century, we're still dealing with the same. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no new thing under the sun. We're still dealing with some of the same stuff. He says, hey, that is why. I'll tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Why would he say that if they never worried about everyday life? They were obviously worrying at times about everyday life. He says, that's why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink and enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? He tries to bring their attention back to eternal perspective, just like he did when he started talking about the foolishness of trying to store up earthly treasures and moth and rust started to destroy it. He, he points at the foolishness. Why? Why are you so focused on, on all of these things? Now, again, does he say that you can't be successful based on the, the, the standard of this world? He does not say that. But he's saying if that is the only thing that drives us, we're, we're trying to, we're willing to sacrifice things on the altar of success, including marriage and family and ministry and charge. And all of that stuff, it's, it's, it's just going to decay. It's, it's going to be destroyed. It's not going to last forever. So he says, isn't life more than that? And now he makes it a little more personal. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Because obviously that was, you know, tear down bigger, make bigger ones. And that was the, that was the mindset. And he's like, they don't, they don't even do that. Why? Because your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? He tries to really bring it home for them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries... Add a single moment to your life. Leave that passage up. What a, what a hypothetical, what an ironically, what a, what a rhetorical question. The answer is an obvious no. Matter of fact, the irony of this is now science and me the medical field point to the fact that it's exactly the opposite. Stress and anxiety is, one, is, is a top killer. It's, it's not something that's going to add to your life. Matter of fact, it's going to take away from your life. When we live in stress and fear and anxiety, I just wonder what the future holds. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. What if I don't get the... I mean, whoa. Jesus says, can, can worry and stress add a, a moment to your life? No, it actually takes away from it. He says, so why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't make their own clothing. He's, he's talking about birds and lilies of the field. Certainly we're better than they are. He says, yet Solomon, the richest, wisest man to live, Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown in a fiery fryer tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Now, you got to remember here, 
These disciples had just been called. Uh, yeah, I'm leaving my family, the security and comfort that comes from that. I'm giving up the fishing business. I'm leaving the boats behind. I'm, I'm walking away from everything that I know. And I'm going on this journey that I don't have a clue exactly. He didn't share the whole itinerary, itinerary with me. I'm not bringing, uh, you know, now, I mean, we, we, we go out of town and we need, you know, a 15-passenger van just to bring all our suitcases, right? They're like, I'm leaving. He's like, don't worry about your shoes and your clothes. Just, just uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out food and money and clothing. And, yeah, just come on. <laughs> just that. I think most people wouldn't follow. That's right. He probably only had 12 people even back then. He'd probably still only get 12 today. He'd start telling people, follow me. I'm not telling you where we're going. Don't bring clothes. Don't bring sandals. Don't bring money. Don't, we'll, I'll, I'll, just trust me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take Southwest. I'll meet you there. You got to remember, they, they had walked away from all of the security, everything they knew. And so you better believe there's a little bit of doubt and a little bit of anxiety. So he's letting them know. See, because before Jesus could say, I'm going to die on a cross, fill you with my spirit, and trust you to take this gospel message to the world. Thank God that he's such a marvelous, wise God that he starts first with, Will you leave your hometown? Will you trust me to get you a meal? I want to be mightily used of God. If you don't pay tithes, you're probably not going to be mightily used of God. It's not because I need money or the church needs money. It's just a simple, it's a simple concept that if I get $10 and I can't trust him with one, he's not going to all of a sudden elevate us to a place of ministry where we're going to be doing signs, wonders, and miracles. It's just a simple concept. And so we, he starts small. Can you leave your house? Can you trust me for a meal? Can you trust me to provide clothing and raiment? Will you, will you trust me to take care of you? Okay, yes. He says, guys, why you got such a little faith? Look around. He didn't just expect them to have this. He was working with them. That's when, when a new believer comes in, we can't just expect them, man, you should know better. No, they shouldn't. Even the disciples didn't know better. There has to be a journey. You start with, a, you struggle with certain things in the beginning that you're not going to struggle with 10 years from now. It's all natural. It's part of that process. Too often churches scare people off before they get to go through the process because we don't offer enough grace. Jesus looks and he says, Guys, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the valley. I take care of them, and you're more important than they are. Why got such little faith? Just relax. I got this. Okay. Because guess what? Eventually, that's going to be, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I need to go to a cross. And I'm not going to walk with you in person anymore. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I got I to gotta work. You're going to take this thing, all of your greater things you're going to do than I ever did. Really? Yeah, just watch. It's been a long journey. Remember when you couldn't trust me with you just to change your clothes? We've come a long way. You've seen some things. But now you're getting ready to see even more incredible things. And so some of those trials that you're going through right now, 
some of those things where you're like, God, whoa, (laughs) are you sure right now? (laughs) This is just one step in the process. He's preparing you for what's coming on the horizon where these little challenges that we're overcoming now that seem huge, we're going to laugh later because he's doing things and building our faith. The trying of our, uh, trying of our faith worketh patience, right? And so he, he's doing these things. But there was real fear. And get this, pouring yourself into earthly things will present relatively predictable results here on earth. If you work hard and do overtime and go to school and, and you're educated and you, and you come early and stay late, and most likely you will be elevated. Most likely you will be a manager, a manager of managers. You'll be the CEO. You will find whatever it is that you're looking for with pretty predictable results for the most part. But if we're not keeping God in this, the earthly things become predictable and eternity becomes unpredictable. Now, walking with God, we we read. He says, here's what happens. Here's what I expect of you. Here's where everything's going to end up. Here's what happens if you do follow. Here's what happens if you don't. It's very predictable. It is very, very predictable eternally. But the daily journeys, guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to wake up and you have no idea what positions God's going to place you in. And some of them will be exciting, whoa! And some of them will just scare us to death. Somebody comes up and says, I have questions about the Bible. I see you read the Bible sometimes. I would love to discuss the Bible with you. And you're going, I've never done a Bible study before. I'm scared to death. And there's things that you step out into new things and God opens doors and, and, and you go through things that are challenging and you get a doctor's diagnosis and find out you lost the job you were working hard on. You're going, God, where are you at? I thought I've been faithful. And, and we start questioning whether or not he's still in control. And you need to go back and mark. Matthew 6, is a, it, it's literally one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Because there is such reassurance there that no matter what, you can read this and go, I'm stressed, God. I lost my job. The doctor said this. It's not looking good. But consider the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. I made them, and I got this under control. Why you got such little faith? Why are you so stressed out? Well, chances are, at the end of the day, we become stressed out when we think that God lost track of us somewhere or that somehow he stopped caring. I mean, why would we stress? We meaning me, because I do too sometimes. He's going, I got this. Why are you worrying? This doesn't mean Jesus didn't care, though, about earthly well-being of his father. Because he says, look, look around you. I've always taken care of my creation. 
It's not like God's like, you're destined and doomed to live with nothing on earth, and then you get to enjoy it in eternity. He just says, examine your heart. But as far as the things on this earth, don't let that consume your whole mindset. I am in control. Eternity's on the horizon, and everything else that you need here, I, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And he says, he goes on, he says, so don't worry about these things, saying, well, what do we eat? Well, what do we drink? Well, what do we wear? Because no doubt those were questions that the followers had. Uh, Jesus, so yeah, I just left everything back there. You said don't bring anything, so uh, is this all I got? I mean, what's the plan for food? There's a lot of people here. Um, how are we getting money? What's the plan? Jesus says, why are you stressing that? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, people who don't believe. But your heavenly father, he already knows all your needs. And then he says one of the, this is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. He says, seek ye first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. So every time I can, I can examine myself and go, okay, things are looking great. Things are looking terrible. It doesn't matter. I can step back and go, Where, where's my heart right now? Where's my heart right now? I just lost my job. Where's my heart right now? I just got a raise. I got the promotion I want. Where's my heart right now? What am I willing to lay on, the, on the, the altar of success? What am I willing to lay down and say, you know what? I'm going to cut into this time. I'm going to cut into that time. I'm willing to walk away from this. Whoa. Hold on. Where's my heart? Is God still first and foremost in my life above everyone and everything? Because the minute that I start to pursue something or someone Wish the youth were up here for this. Something or someone more than God, he's no longer first. And so number one above everyone and everything has to be God. You are my main priority. There are other things that I prioritize and do in my life that I deem as important. But I can never lose sight of the number one thing in my life. And in the world we live in right now, there are things everywhere shouting for your attention. Hey, I need done. Hey, I need this over here. Hey, I need you to do this. Hey, what about this? Hey, I need you here. Hey, I want to do that. Hey, I have goals here. Hey, and, and there's just things shouting everywhere. And so we have to step back and say, okay, let me begin to prioritize this. First is this. Even in finances, that's why he calls the tithe, he talks about it being the first fruit. It was not, well, I got this check, I'll pay my bills. If I have anything left over, it's definitely going to God. You know that's not happening. That's why he says, give me the first fruit. And that's why I say I don't mean that rude or disrespectful to you, but if, if, if we can't trust him with the first fruit of the finances, you will never might be mightily used by God. It's just not going to happen. Because there are principles that he gives us that if we can't trust him with these things, he's not going to trust us with greater calling. 
And so he says, listen, keep me number one. You keep me number one, I'll give you this promise. I'll always take care of everything you need. To me, that is the most reassuring verse in the entire Bible. Because I know, even as I started to feel the call of God into ministry, I wrote a whole book on it <laughs> about that feeling that call, but then you just sit there and everybody means well, and they're like, hey, you just need to trust God. Just God will make a way. God will open the door. You're like, yes, but what do I do in the meantime, okay? I know you're trying to be nice, but like, what do I do now? And I always wanted to be able to say, God, I've done every single thing that I can humanly do to prepare myself. Now, you got to open the doors you want when you want. I never want to get to an open door. I remember when I talked to Brother Gleason about getting ordained. I was young. I was like, I don't even know, need to know why I'm ordained. They said, but if anybody ever knocks on my door to serve at all, I want to make sure that I'm ready and that it's in God's hands. And so we prepare. If we start saying, well, if God opens the door, then I'll start preparing for that. You're already too late. If you feel called, begin preparing for that calling. And God will open the door. But sometimes we wait and say, well, when he opens the door, then I'll start preparing. No. No, no, no. Prepare. And watch the doors begin to open. Because God looks and says, that's my girl, that's my boy, yep. And so we start walking in that calling, but we can never do that without this verse. Keep me, number one. I'll take care of everything else. That brings me such peace and reassurance. And he says, so don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today, amen? <laughs> yeah. You don't need to tell me, well, I wonder if we're wearing masks in fall. Dude, we're wearing masks now. I don't even know about fall, okay? I'm dealing with today right now. I can emphatically say worry is never, not one time, never, never, never the will of God. Worry is never of God. And so if you worry, you can look. And again, that's why we examine our heart. Well, I'm outside God's will in this area. Well, then fix it. Because that might be a reason to worry. <laughs> if you're outside of God's will, you can't just say, well, I'm going to trust his promises. Well, his promises include you aligning with his command. Well, I just trust that. I always make that joke when somebody says, well, bless God, I'm looking for a job. Well, that's awesome. Where have you applied? Nowhere. Well, do you have a resume? I haven't put one together. Well, have you applied anywhere? Nope, just waiting for God to open the door. <laughs> You're like, okay, we need to talk. <laughs> worry, though, is not of God. It's never of God. And worry usually will take place when someone feels like they need to help God out. He's either not doing what they want or in the timing that they want it. So they start to get anxious and full of fear. But God gives us one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture when he says, Hey, y'all listening? He says, I always take care of my creation. Look around. I love you. Don't worry. You can stand to your feet tonight. 
you are watching online and you are stressed out right now. If you're here and you're worried about what tomorrow might bring. Or you're getting nervous thinking about your future, the future of your children, your, your family, your job, your retirement, your education. God is speaking and saying, keep me first. I'll take care of everything else. Just keep me number one, and I'll provide what you need. So go ahead, better yourself. Go to school, get education, climb the corporate ladder, budget for retirement, buy yourself a nice car if you can afford to and not go in debt for it. Get married and have children. It's beautiful. But don't lose sight of what needs to be first and foremost in your life. What does it profit if I gain the whole world and lose this soul? Man, I'm not going to do that. So don't worry. Yeah, but you don't understand what I got on my plate. I might not. I'll listen. I'll try my best. But he does. He knew that was coming. He knew you were going to be right where you are, right in this place, and he wants to walk with you through that. But he's saying, look around. I always take care of my creation if you will just trust me. I got this. So I just invite you to find a place. If you're stressed and anxious, find a place to pray. If you're doing fine and there's no anxiety or stress, find a place to pray. Say, God, I'm reaffirming that. Thank you. Oh, God, I'm going to keep trusting you. It's certainly easy to trust you when everything's going well right now, but God, man, I'm going to keep trusting you even when things turn south and not going the way I wanted them to go or in the timing I wanted them to happen. But I'm not going to worry because it's outside of your will, Lord. I'll keep you first, Jesus. Jesus.